0: Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's teaching, the Apostle Paul expounds upon the grace and justice of God. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Grace and Justice. There's a How many of you were around back in the days when if you wanted to communicate with somebody, you had kind of two options, a phone call or a handwritten letter? <laughs> wow, that's awesome. We've got a lot of older folks in the congregation. (laughs) Oh, there was something so nice about looking forward to what's coming in that little box and then seeing the person's handwriting so much more personable, uh, you know, and brought a lot of joy. Now, we can only imagine the joy of the new believers uh, when that long-awaited letter back in the first century, finally arrived to them a letter from their pastor, Pastor Paul, in his own handwriting. The end of Second Thessalonians, he's going to say, Hey, this is my handwriting, this is how I write. And uh, he's the man who preached the gospel in that Greek city, and they became Christians. And you know, he was forced after three short weeks. Uh, uh, by because of persecution, uh, he was driven away. They were separated. And so they had questions and they missed him and they were wondering about him. So when they got that letter in his handwriting, you know, that was awesome. And now we are going to have the occasion for the second letter to be written to them. Um, you'll recall that Paul and Timothy and some of your Bibles has. Have Sylvanus. It's another way to spell uh, Silas. And so Paul, along with two younger men, pastors who were working with him, uh, came to Europe really for the very first time. Here, I got a map. I'm a map guy. I like this, just a modern day map. And they came through Turkey, as the the most of the Christian churches were first planted in Turkey, from Syria up through Turkey. And they took the route that the refugees are taking right now from Syria through Turkey and then across into Europe this way. Well, they took that way. And as you will recall, Acts chapter 16, first they went to Philippi and uh, that's modern day Kavala. And then they got kicked out of there. So they went to Thessalonica. And after three weeks starting a church in Thessalonica, they got kicked out of there And then Paul, Silas, and Timothy went to Berea, right? And they pretty much got kicked out of there. And then they went down to Athens. Nothing really happened in Athens as far as starting a church. And then the church team went down to Corinthos, which is um, ancient day Corinth. And so from Corinth now, six months after planting, that first letter was generated that answered a lot of questions. And so Paul's here in Corinth planting the church of the Corinthians, and he's going to spend 18 months, the scriptures tell us there. It's from that work there in Corinth, uh, some 350 miles from uh, Thessalonica, that he's generated these two correspondences, which we call 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Now, uh, after the first letter, uh, scholars say the timing A few months later, back comes a response from the first letter. And so he hears there in Corinth about what's going on. He had already, remember, he affirmed his love for them uh, uh, and defended the ministry because in the long absence, first letter we're speaking of, uh, some opposition said, see, where is he? He doesn't love you. And so he had to spend... The first letter, reaffirming his love. And, and also, what were the problems there? Uh, they also were confused about the second coming. They had some uh, fears about that. And then they also had a problem in the congregation with how they should live in a way to please the Lord. And so there were some practical exhortations, especially about that group. Remember, I just call them by the Greek name now, toy." The Ataktoi, um rendered in English, the, the lazy busy buddies. All right. And so they were a social nuisance, a real drag. They were hyper spiritual. Jesus is coming tomorrow. So let's sell our sell everything and quit our jobs. Well, you don't quit your jobs because, you know, I can quit my job, but I'm going to need your couch and your food and you need to take care of me kind of spirituality. So Paul said in his first letter, hey, listen, get a job, mind your own business. Get out of people's hair. And, and those were his words, right? Now, back comes a response. The church is doing good, but there are still three problems. And this is occasion for the second letter. And so you have to know what, what his point is. Three ongoing struggles. And wouldn't you know, they're chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three of this new book that we're looking at. Uh, the first struggle was the persecution. Was We already knew about But it's heating up, and people are being martyred in Thessalonica. Actually, Thessalonica is the Roman capital of the region called Macedonia. The gospel first came there. Therefore, the massive persecution that ends with being thrown to the lions and beheaded and used as torches to light the emperor's gardens, it started in Thessalonica, Right? So he's going to, number one, encourage them uh, with uh, God's uh, grace. And he's going to talk to them about justice, God's justice. He's going to encourage them. In chapter two, of ne- so next week we'll take a look at what chapter two talks about is apparently there's wannabe apostles, and they believe that they're already in the tribulation. So they want the church at Thessalonica to believe them. Hey, the day of the Lord's already happened. Look, we're losing our lives and they're persecuting us. They wrote a letter and signed Paul's name to it and said, heads up, we're in the great tribulation. And so Paul in chapter two has to tell them, let me show you why the tribulation cannot happen while Christians are on the earth. And so he explains the Antichrist, Revelation, and all of that. Chapter 3, guess what chapter 3 is about? The attack toy. Uh, Okay, news comes back to, the word means to not come under, to be disruptive, to fall out of rank. All right? And so he's going to hear, his warnings went in one ear and out the other. Of course, that's attack toy 101. You know, I'm just a spiritual... If not more spiritual than the Apostle Paul. And I don't submit to any man, I submit to the man Christ Jesus. Right. Doesn't that sound spiritual? It's not. <laughs> it's not. There are a lot of work. So he says, Oh, and by the way, chapter three, let me tell you how to deal with those kinds of people. It's not pretty. All right, so first up is encouragement an affirmation, they're being jailed, they are um, losing their property, they're being fined, and they're being killed because they love Jesus. And so we're gonna take a look at the whole chapter, 12 verses, and then we'll break them apart as we walk through to glean some insights for us. So here we go, Uh, chapter one. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the pastoral team that planted them, same guys, From Corinth to the Church of the Thessalonians. In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to always thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance. And faith in all the persecutions and troubles and trials that you're enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. And this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you, you believe our testimony to you, the gospel. Now, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of, of his calling and that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of Of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the chapter one. And it divides uh, quite nicely into three thoughts, really. God is, uh, Paul is thankful for three things. And it's kind of cool because he's practicing what he preached. He already told them last letter. Be joyful always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you, right? So we see him doing all of that. Right here in his life. And, and so he's thankful for three things in, this, uh, in these 12 verses. Uh, God's grace, number one, note takers. One through four talks about being thankful for God's grace. Man, by God's grace, you guys are standing, even though they're hammering you. So he wants to talk about that and affirm them. I'm thankful for God's grace. Point number two in this passage will be, I'm thankful for God's justice. Hey, he's going to come to your rescue And he's going to pay back those who bring trouble to you and to the church. That's God's justice. And number three, he's thankful for God's power, which is available through prayer. And it's God's power that enables us to be who God wants us to be. And so that's verses 11 and 12. So time for a closer look. Let's dive in to the first point. Thankful for God's grace that makes us stand no matter what the devil throws uh, at us. Amen. So verses one through four, isolated for us. Thankful for God's grace. There we go. One through four. Um, Because they're cooperating with it. Listen, God, (laughs) there's a lot of grace in this life. Not just for Christians. The Bible says that God is kind to the grateful and the ungrateful. That he causes good weather to happen for the, the farmer's fields who love him and for the farmer's fields who hate him and curse his name. There's a lot of grace here. But you know what makes the difference? is responding and cooperating with the grace of God. And these guys are doing it even though they're praying one way and uh, the bad guys are hauling some of them off to prison. And worse things Than that are even happening. Well, you know, I like to point out that you know the scrolls caused them to sign their names at the beginning, so they didn't have to unscroll the whole thing to find out who's writing them. And and Paul is writing Silas and Timothy, the young pastors. So here are these three pastors who started the church to the church of the Thessalonians. In God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what, what does it mean to be in the Father? And in the Lord. Well, what do those terms say about God? Well, let's start with Father. Provision and love and care and sustenance. So what is he saying? He's saying, you are in God's care. You're under his loving parental watch and concern." And what does it mean to be in the Lord? But by faith, we entered into a kingdom, right? Where Lord means supreme authority. So he, what is he saying? He's saying, you're in God's protective care and you're under the Lord of the earth's protective covering. So what a nice way. I mean, it's a, like, how are you? I am fine kind of greeting with a twist that says, let me just preach a little sermon and encourage you who are being hauled off to prison because you love Jesus. Let me just remind you where you live. You don't just live in Thessalonica. You live in the care and the possession of the God who spoke the world into being. And from that and because of that, you have grace, unmerited favor. You didn't earn it. He just lavishes his on you. Why? Because you came to his son, Jesus Christ. And peace, that shalom uh, sense of, no matter what my world looks like, it may be upside down, I have this peace, and the Bible describes it this way, that doesn't make sense. I have this peace that surpasses understanding. And so grace and peace belong to you, of course, if you're in the Father's care, And you're in the Lord's covering. You have grace and peace. And so he just dives right in and he says, listen, it's on. Uh, They're responding. I don't know if you see the kickback here. The scholar said he's talking right here at verse three with very strong language. It signals to Greek speakers. Whoa, what's the problem? He's pushing back to them. They said, first letter said, you guys the whole region of Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. Everybody knows about you guys. You're young believers. They're trying to squash you. They're bringing out the big guns, and you guys are just echoing out the gospel to everybody knows, you guys. Your lives have been transformed. You're no longer idol worshipers, but your children, your sons of light, and children of the day. And so they come back and say, come on. We know we could be doing better. We feel like failures, you know. We're not doing as much as we could be doing. And he says, oh no, we ought to feel this way about you. And look at your text. It's right, it's fitting. He's pushing back and saying, our assessment of your faith is accurate. Why? So many times, and I'm like this, you're like this. You know, we are aware of our own Sinfulness that nobody else can see. You know, somehow we manage to limp along in the right direction and God does a few things, but we feel inadequate. We're aware of how broken we are and how, you know, by the grace of God, we could so easily, but others are able to assess in our lives our spiritual progress better than we can. We're always looking forward and going, oh, man, I'm never going to get there. And we don't look back in the rearview mirror and realize, wow, look at how far I've come by the grace of God. You see? And so he's saying, hey, it's right. You are this. Let me tell you this. He goes, let me tell you. Let me brag about you. Everywhere we go, you know, they're complaining. Oy they, you know, i got a paper cut this week, uh, you know. I've got a band on it. I can't use it. It's the most important finger I have. And they say, do you want to know about grace and strength and fortitude? Let us tell you, they're dragging brothers and sisters in the Lord out of Thessalonica and dumping them in a dungeon. And the, and the church is flourishing. They're on fire. They're preaching the gospel. They're loving one another. They're trusting God more and more and more. He says, we brag about you. We tell them you're the model church. Wow, that's pretty cool. So what does he say? He says, your faith is growing more and more. The word for growing there is interesting. It's used to describe lush growth of a tropical plant, like that vibrant Maui green color, you know, that blossoming flowers and brimming over with yummy fruit. (laughs) I made the yummy part up. It's not in there. And and so then he says, your love for one another, it's increasing. And the word in the Greek for increasing that you see in your text is used to describe the expansive nature of something like a flood. So he says, this flood is raising higher and higher and higher. What is it? It's, It's the flood of God's Grace and peace coming down in response. You're just loving one another. And what is causing that character of love and faith to grow? The trouble, the pressure. God's plan to use trouble is working to mature them. You know that's what's happening there. How is that possible? You get dragged off to prison. Some of them are martyred. Can you imagine if three three rows were empty? Where are they? Well, we don't know. Last we heard they were in prison did and one of them over here, a big hole over here from the family that's missing because the dad got killed. Why? Because he wouldn't worship Caesar. Right? And everybody at the trade union had to take a pinch of incense and put it in the fire and say, Jesus is Lord. No, Caesar is Lord. But instead of that, he said, put his hand on his heart, said, No incense necessary. There is only one Lord, and his name is Jesus Christ. And they killed him. And the church is growing in faith more and more like a fat mango tree. And the love that they have for one another is increasing like a tsunami. How is that possible? They're in the Father. And they're in a Lord. And they have grace. And they have peace. And that's how it's possible to take the pressure cooker and out comes character, character. And perseverance and strength and godliness and, and all the corruption is drained and oozed out because the vice is squeezing. God says, I can use this. You want proof? Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace there. There it is, peace. With God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we gain access by faith, just trusting. How do we get this blessing? Just trusting him into this grace. There it is, grace and peace in which we stand. Hey, we're happy about going to heaven and the second coming and all of that. Not only that, but we're also happy about our sufferings. You want to know why? Because we know, not we think that maybe, perhaps, we know as Christian believers that suffering produces Suffering produces. Suffering produces. It produces it. It makes it happen. It's this is the cause of this. What? Suffering produces perseverance. What is he praising them for? Their endurance. Where did they get that endurance? Suffering produces it, produces character. And you guys are loving each other more and more. That's a character quality of love. Where did it come from right here? Because it's producing it. And hope, hope just keeps you confidently trusting. And we won't be disappointed because God has poured out his love in a tangible way through the spirit of God. And we've come to life and rely on this love through the Holy Spirit whom he has given. You know, it's not just, it's a conspiracy. It's not just Paul. You know, James joins in. He says, hey, I want you to consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trouble. This word means to be stressed. Of many kinds. Because you know, yeah, maybe, perhaps, somehow. No, you know that the testing of your faith develops this. Perseverance. Where's your perseverance? Hey, man, you really got a lot of perseverance. Where'd it come from? Testing, trouble. And that's why I can, you know, kind of have a joy down deep somewhere about what I'm going through. I say down deep somewhere because, you know, nobody's happy when they're suffering. But later we get it, right? So listen, I can look at a bad thing that's happening to me as a Christian in a different way If I know it's redemptive, if I know this is just not a waste of time causing me aggravation, frustration, pain. If I know that it has a purpose and it's on my behalf, then I'm going to look at that thing with a whole different light. Instead of thinking, oh, it's terrible and it's awful. If only I can hold my breath and get through this thing. No, why don't I? cooperate with what God has allowed in my life and let it have its full work so that I'll be mature, complete, the kind of man that God wants me to be. And the only way that's going to happen is in the pressure cooker of his love and his good purpose, amen? So, like it or not, and mostly we don't, God has decided to use and allow the natural hostility that's in the world toward Him and then aimed at us as a way to grow, refine, and mature His people. You wanna know the name of God's gym? You know, I go to Fusion whenever I don't know what that means, but it's a name of the gym. You know what God's gym is called where we go? It's called Trouble. That's where you go to get buffed for the Lord, all right? You go into trouble with a good attitude. Huponame in the Greek means to remain under. That's the word for patience. So when you are praying, oh, Lord, help me to be patient and to endure, you're asking him, help me to stay under this thing so that I can develop some perseverance muscles. You see, that is exactly what he's saying. And so Paul's thankful, you know, that they're going to the gym and he says, you guys are spiritually buff. And, and, And instead of getting bitter, you know, I have some doubts, okay? I'm struggling here. None of that in Thessalonica. They're like, this is expected. We know the Lord, we love him. He laid down his life for us. We're going to heaven. We've got some precious promises. And we're trusting him more and more, not less and less. Moving on. From God's grace he's thankful for, he's also thankful for God's justice. Now, he's going to say, now we might as well take a look at it. He's saying, your struggle is actually evidence of God's righteous judgment in your life and in theirs. And he's saying, don't worry, God's just. This is a just universe he's got. It doesn't appear to be. But he's saying, God is just. He's going to pay back trouble to troublemakers and he's going to give you guys comfort and help, right? He's saying, this is going to happen in a big way when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with powerful angels and and, and he's going to end up punishing those who refuse to let him love and save them that don't know god don't obey the gospel's good news of our lord jesus christ and here's how they're going to be punished it's terrible and on the day he comes and and on the other side there's this glory there's this honor for Christ and his people who are joined to him. And and it's all because we believe the gospel, right? And so we're going to take this apart now. Thankful for God's justice. You know, it does kind of help you to know and to keep your heart loving and gracious and kind to those who oppose Christ, who blaspheme that wonderful name that has saved us, uh, who do terrible, lawless things that grieve our hearts or hurt us, it helps us to be able to, to keep a sweetheart to, and to obey Christ where he says, love your enemies, you people, and pray for those people who hurt you. Do not you harbor uh, bitterness and anger. What helps me is to know, and he's encouraging them. God's going to take care of them. He, he pays back. It's a just Universe, you know? So therefore, if God is going to take care of retribution, if that's his department, we are free to do as he's called us, to be ambassadors of his love. It's open enrollment season, people. Uh, Anyone from a terrorist to, to anybody who's doing all kinds of crazy, heinous sinning, we must represent a God who said, whosoever believes in Christ, shall not perish. And the whosoever includes some pretty broad sinning, the worst kinds. Therefore, vengeance is not an option for us, but we leave it to God. He says, vengeance is mine. Now, before we talk about hell, because it's in the text, we have to talk about it. I don't want to. Who likes to talk about it, you know? But when you go verse by verse, you come into passages that you have to talk about. Just so you know, when God says it's mine to avenge, the word vengeance here, it's even translated out of uh, verse 8, to punish, which is a better word for it. Uh, The word vengeance in Greek doesn't have the English connotations of um, selfish vindictiveness. In the Greek, when God says, I will avenge, it, it just simply means in a in a non-biased way to bring about justice to the guilty without hate, without joy. Ezekiel thirty-three, eleven. I declare, says the Lord, I take no delight in the death of the wicked. I'd rather that they turn and live. So... God cautions his people because we, in our fallenness, we don't know how to handle anger and hate and, well, you're going to get yours. He says, don't do any of that. You're not letting them off the hook. You're entrusting them to me. That should enable you to say, okay, I can forgive. I can, you know, I'm not letting them off the hook because God said they're not off the hook. They're in my courtroom, not yours right? So now we have to take a look at this. He says, I love this. The very thing that's happening there is evidence that you're genuine and they are the bad guys and you're the good guys. In other words, God allows the fight between good and evil, light and dark to happen, even with casualties, to, to show who's who. And and God's justice he says there, is right, even though it doesn't look right. So he's saying, I know what you're saying. The Packers are winning. The Smith family's missing because they killed the father. Where, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing anything? And he says, oh, no, he's working. He's working. So, so first of all, he's saying, your struggle And that hostility that the world shows you because of your love for Christ and God's truth is a plain indication that God is at work in your lives and the persecutors' lives. He's determining who's who, right? So, along these lines, he's saying, like Jesus said, hey, when men insult you because of me, he says, rejoice and be glad. Listen to his reasoning. Because that's how they treated the Bible heroes. Isaiah, Elijah, Jeremiah, um, Noah, Moses, and you. Their, Their experience is your experience. Your experience is their experience. How blessed are you? You know what Jesus is saying? Celebrate. You got the real deal. Because they loved God. And look what happened to them. You're loving God and look what's happening to you. Connect the dots, rejoice and be glad. You're the real deal. So God's justice is right in letting things get fleshed out a little bit because even in the greatest casualty of your martyrdom, not a hair on your head suffers, he said. Yeah, I have a a scripture for that. Matthew chapter 10 You'll be hated because of me, but stand firm to the end. You'll see your salvation. A servant's not above his master. If they called your your Lord the son of Satan, they called him Beelzebub, which means son of the devil. (laughs) If they called me the son of the devil, how much more you, the ones who serve me, right? So don't be afraid of them. The truth will all come out in the end. Don't be afraid of those who can kill your body, but can't kill the soul. Rather, be more concerned, I'll tell you who, The one who can destroy both soul and body in hell, he should get your attention. Now, God knows everything that's going on with you. He even knows the numbers of hairs on your head. So you don't have to be afraid. You're of great worth to God. You see? And so we're able uh, to trust him, even to martyrdom. How fair is that? Jesus said, well, how fair was it for me? He he told us the path to glory involves a cross. Not just mine, he said. I invite you to deny self, pick up your cross, Thessalonians, and follow me because you're my image in this world. I taught them. I loved them in a perfect way, and they killed me and your little me. In the world, don't expect a standing ovation, you know? And so he says to them, look, stop panicking. Though it appears to you that there's no justice going on. Look at the world today. There's like 20 some odd countries that make it against the law to be who you are. And you could lose your life if you profess Jesus as Lord over a certain other prophet, shall we say? It's happening to them. Where's God? Paul says, his justice is right. He's gonna relieve, he's gonna help, but he's working faith, he's growing character, he's purging us, and he's building up our reward that's eternal, and he will come to our aid, and he's calling them out. Who are the true unbelievers? And storing up wrath, unfortunately, for anyone who won't take them up on his loving sacrifice for their sins, right? And so that's what that means. I do want you to catch what's important here where he says that you will be counted, I think it's verse five or six. uh, As a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Uh, The gospel comes to unworthy people. And, and we are considered worthy by living up to what we've already obtained. So he's saying, you know, the idea is God is on the other end of that call. Hey, come to me, live for me. So live worthy of that. You can never become worthy. He's already taken care of that through his uh, death and resurrection, and so God is just. There's going to be verse six a public vindication uh, coming, a public reversal of fortunes, if you will, for both groups. So let's talk about that. He says the afflicted are going to get relief, and there's payback uh, for the troublemakers. Uh, and you do notice where he says, and and his justice is right, even though it doesn't appear to be. What is he saying? He's saying, it's not over yet. When you see me, then you know it's over, and then you're going to see this happen. Jesus called it, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Oh, snap. All right? So what happens there, that old snap, puts not in the Bible. Jesus talked about it all the time. He's saying, it's not over yet. This isn't the part where we go, whoa, weak is strong and strong is weak, and the ones who have the power, not gonna have the power. He says, could you wait until it happens? Stop judging so early. Oh no, they're winning and we're losing. Uh He says, hold on, we'll show you who's winning and who's losing. So um, Paul's assurance about God's future judgment naturally prompts three questions. When does it occur? Who's going to get it? And what form does the punishment take? Let's isolate those answers. Number one, when does it occur? When's the big culmination? Well, it is, the first sentence. This will happen when the Lord Jesus revealed from heaven, the word revealed there is apocalypsis which is the Greek title of the book of Revelation. That's what it means. It means to take off the covering and show you. Now, the world uses apocalypse for like Armageddon. Actually, it just means revelation. It means to open and see, right? So he's saying that the great redress of human experience, in other words, the great rebalancing, Whoa, wait a second. It seems out of touch here. You know, all the bad guys, the corruption, and everything seems to be in power. But hold on, me and my people are now in charge. Let's turn the tables. When does that happen? When he's revealed. Part of that, you know, we see him first in a secret kind of appearing, but this appearing seems to be visible uh, to all. There's, as I told you, 1,845 references to the second coming. Um, For every reference in the Bible to his first coming, there are eight to the second coming. And so, right, um, Jesus is really keen about describing that day uh, as a day of role reversals. And so uh, the Lord comes for the church as a thief in the night. The thief comes in. He's not seen. He takes the valuables and what we call the catching away of the church out of harm's way before the great and awesome day of the Lord happens, which we call judgment day, right? But this we're talking about here where he's revealed in flames of fire, you know, in blazing fire. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye shall see even those who pierced him. This guy, had he not repented, he's in a place called Hades. He's alive and unwell in that place. It will be such an appearing that everybody in heaven, on earth, and under the earth shall see him. And John goes on to say, and the earth will grieve, because most of the earth will be unbelievers at that time. (coughs) Here's how Jesus put it. I'll just read it to you. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of God. Immediately after the distress of the tribulation days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. He's already come and rescued believers. The stars will fall from their place and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the Son of God will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of God coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And so he came the first time in obscurity and, and in weakness. And, and it says in Hebrews, Christ was sacrifice wants to take away the sins of many, And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting. Well, that's one part of the justice, right? So first coming weakness and obscurity. Second one, powerful and public magnificence. The the text goes on to say, with blazing fire and powerful angels. The second question was, well, to pay, pay back who? Well, he answers that he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord. Well, those who do not know God, it's not an innocent lack of information there. The Bible describes it in in ways of a a willful rejection of the truth that God has plainly, quote, Plainly made clear to them. Romans chapter 1 and verse 19. So at one level, uh, you don't have to have grown up in a Christian country to know enough to be saved, according to Romans chapter 1. God knows the intent and the motivation of everybody's heart. So God says in Romans 1 that there's enough information about God to put your trust and faith in him. Uh, by the things which are created. It says there, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, They neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so they exchanged the truth of God and they made uh, snakes and elephant men and bowed down to rocks and stones. He says, everybody kind of knows what they're doing. And so it's a willful rejection. They don't know God because they, honestly, they don't want to know God. That's what we take from the Bible as a whole. And so um, they've rejected a wooing of the Holy Spirit, that voice. You know, I've often said on Judgment Day, people are going to hear that voice and go, oh, we've met before. No one's going to go to that voice that's, hey, hey. No one's going to go, what? Who are you? What happened? Oh, no, that's the voice that was striving with them their whole life, right? But they kept the door Close. They rejected the warnings of their conscience. Romans chapter 2 says, you know what? We have a conscience that God gave us that, that knows. That they just no spirit didn't come from a rock. I'm a spiritual being. Spirit has to be, come from another spirit. And a designed world that works so wonderfully would design the human eyeball. The natural cycles of the earth has to have a design no." the design so those things have been stepped aside they don't know God because they don't want to obey him the next clause is is the same understanding it's hard to uh, want to serve a Lord that's what will keep a lot of people away from God the third question is what will be their judgment now you know I know we have visitors here And, you know, when I meet them in the lobby before I know that we're going to talk about they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut from the presence of the Lord, shut out uh, from the majesty of his power. You know, I kind of cringe and I just inwardly pray, God, would you just give me a way to to convey this without compromising, but not in a proud, arrogant, um, unbecoming way. This is this is a horror to our hearts. No one's happy about this, including God, right? And so here's what he's saying. I mean, those who, by their willful choice, skip out on God's love and his sacrifice for their sins, to pay for their sins, then uh, someone else to pay. There are two options. Let him pick up the tab, which he did. Or you pick up the tab for every sin that you've ever committed. Someone's got to pay. And that's the name for vengeance. It's just a blind, okay, well, let's pay. Let's start with junior high years and, and continuing up, And now you have to pay. I, I say junior high because of 12, 13, whenever the age of accountability. Kids are free. A kid dies under the age of accountability, straight in. Of course, they don't have the ability. But once you start figuring things up and growing up in your teens, you know, watch out. And so what do we find here? A lot of people like to, let me, let me tell you what happens on Facebook. This is the gospel. But what happens when you die unreconciled to God, even though you hate God and the truth and you hate Christians and you're always talking about it but, and you die like that? You step out one day, uh, you didn't look right and you should have. <laughs> You should have, and now you're dead. What happens to you? Here's the Facebook gospel An angel comes and carries you into the presence of a loving God where all your sins are washed away because God's love wins. Hold on, that's Facebook. That's social media, because that's hip, that's cool, that won't get you in trouble at work. You'll be so accepted. Oh, you're so open-minded. And of course, how could a God of love ever do something like what is written in his book? (laughs) How, How could he ever do something that actually is in the gospel? And he talked about 12 times Jesus Christ. He calls hell an eternal garbage dump. And he calls it eternal fire and black darkness. And he says it goes on forever and ever. Jesus' words, not mine. Oh, somebody sent me an email. I'm not going to your church anymore because you talk about hell. I'm like, you do realize it's in the Bible, right? And this person says, I'm going to so and so's church. And I said, You do know he believes the same thing I do, right? And she said, But he doesn't talk about it. Woo, I found the secret to growing a church. I'm just going to cut all the nasty parts out that we can't emotionally reconcile. Who can emotionally reconcile that? Me? No. But I'm not about to change what is plainly written, not just there. Because I can't emotionally grasp how a God of love can allow that to happen, right? I can't change anything, right? When I get to heaven, God is going to look me in the face and say, okay, Ross, it's time to talk about pastoring and your Bible teaching, and I just want to make sure. Uh, Let's line up some things, how truthful and accurate you were as a Bible teacher. Did you talk about hell and warn people that there is a hell? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Did you have to take a little heat, heat about it? Yes, Lord. Uh, well, that's funny. Gabriel, show, press print out and we'll show you all the, all the Facebook comments about you, Pastor Ross. Right here, we have them. The Lord Jesus Christ opens up a scroll and says, I just want to show you. This, uh, <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Oh, we're not done. Let's go to Twitter or Twitter. or. <laughs> the little bird that flies. And Pastor Ross, the Lord speaking, he'd probably just call me Ross, or by a name we don't know, he has a name for us. Yeah. He's going to say, you know, that took a little heat, right? Yeah, I took a little heat. And they made stuff up about you, and they insulted you, right, because you're all into hell and fire, and no grace. Yeah. I just want to show you, we've been keeping record, and I just want to show you what I have for you because of that. And I'm going to look and go, What? Shut up! You know? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, oh, no, no. No, no, <laughs> no, no, because no. all of that just went out the window now, because I told the Lord to do you it. Know? <laughs> He's gonna say to you on that day, you took a lot of heat. They said, you're narrow minded, get with it. You know, you're 20 years behind. Thank you. Look what I have for you. Look what I have for you. What did the devil say that got us all into this spiritual train wreck? Has God really said? Fill in the blank. Did he really say yes? Yes, he said. He said, if, I, if we do that, we're going to surely die. And he says, well, maybe he meant pumpkin pie. Right, Eve? It kind of sounds like that where you're not listening completely. You know, you're going to miss out on some pumpkin pie. Did God really say, I'll show this first to people. And 20 like it. 20! Am I happy about it? God's not even happy about it. You know what I say? I say, you want to say, how could God, a God of love, send? stop there. I'm going to grab the conversation and I ask you, sir, you want to talk about harsh? You want to talk about logic of how God could send something? Let, let me refer you to this act here, sir. Awesome. Who is this, sir, with a crown of thorns matted into his skull? I'll answer the question for you. That, sir, is God almighty in an earth body. In an earth suit, if you will. Colossians 2:9. In him dwells the fullness of God in a human body. That's Bible. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. By him all things have been created. John chapter 1. By him, anything that has been made has been made by him, and by him. All things hold together. I'm not done. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. This is God the Son, co-equal to the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This, sir, is a God who loved you so much and was so worried that a human being might actually be foolish enough to jump over his cross and his bloody footprints and all the speed bumps and the layers of conscience and the word of God and the church and Christian testimony. He was so afraid that somebody was going to end up there. He did this for them even though they hated him and still do. You want to talk about fairness? You want to talk about logic? How could God send, finish the sentence? How could God send his son, sinless, born of a human woman? Do you know what that meant? He had to suffer the indignities of what we do in our bodies. Oh, God, the son had to become flesh and blood. Why? So he could have a face, so they could spit in it because that's what we deserved. He had to have a beard so it could be plucked out. He had to have a human back so that it could be flogged open so you could see the muscles and the bones. He had to have hands so they could be nailed. Where did they get those minerals to make the spike? He spoke. Them into being where they get the wood, he grew the tree. And then he says, Nobody came and captured me. Oh, when they come to him in the garden, he goes, Oh, oh, oh you're out here with your clubs, and oh, like you're gonna catch me. But this is your hour, darkness. He goes, This is all written. Come on, do your thing. And then they say to him, He says, Who are you seeking? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, The divine. I am. <laughs> Two hundred guys go over like dominoes on their faces before the king of the universe. He's helping them up. Come on, boys! You got a job to do. This is my plan. You're not capturing me. I'm capturing you. Come on, do your do your thing. Do your thing. Why? Because, boys, I don't want any of you to perish. I'd rather take it on for you. You want harsh. (laughs) That's harsh. So take their comments and just channel it back. Maybe keep a picture in your wallet of the cross and the Lord of glory on that cross in love. And say, sir, I want to tell you about what real love is. You don't judge God By the existence of a place that was created, not for man, but for the devil and his angels. And any fool who wants to spurn that and walk past conscience, creation, and the testimony of the church right over. That's what it's there for. And God on that sad day will say, sir, thy will, thy will, not mine. Thy will be done. Now, to a happier thought. (laughs) The inauguration, please. (laughs) So, that's them. When he appears, he says, very fascinating line. He says, on that day when Christ will be glorified in his people, not by them, not among them, not with them, in them. What does that mean? That means Jesus, when he lights up the skies and he's front and center and the whole world goes, (gasps) we're with him. We're front and center as he's shining and doing that transfiguration gleam, right? Like the brightness of 10,000 suns, we're standing with him. He wants us to know this isn't just about me and my glorification. I am coming in a mutual way with my people who I laid down and I bought them. Well, really, he calls us his bride. We are one with him. So when he's honored, he honors us. When he's glorified, we in through us shining. Oh, man, you know what? That's why he says the last words of the scripture are to be marveled at by his people. Now, we have new bodies, but that won't mitigate the awe. (laughs) We're still gonna drop. The jaw and go, how did I get into this? <laughs> how did this happen to me? I was minding my own business in a disco. Me in 1979 at 19 years old. I don't want anything to do with God. And he came like lightning and just said, you come with me, you're mine. You know, wow. And I'm gonna be at the inauguration. Now this is the King of Netherlands, something, you know. <laughs> I don't, hey, if you're a Netherlandian. I love you. Welcome. Only Europe knows how to do stuff like this. You know, they throw a party. They throw a party. I showed, I, I clicked on other things. Chandeliers up top of chandeliers. Having chandeliers. Oh, just so beautiful. And I just thought, the inauguration of an earthly king compared to the son of God, the king, Of kings on his head, many crowns. What does that even mean? Oh, man, he said, You and I will marvel when the tables are turned and we're no longer the tail, we're the head. And the head now, no longer the head, it's the tail. And everyone will know everything about all the little stories that will just be knowledge. Jesus said there's not one thing that goes on that won't be disclosed and open and lit up in that day. Our sins, who covered. Those things are not disclosed because they're forgotten by God. And if God forgets something, bro, well, it's gone. Amen? Amen? Let's close with the prayer. It's a quick one. It's under a minute or two. <laughs> just throw in the two just in case. Um, here it comes, 11 and 12. With this in mind, all of this stuff, <laughs> we constantly pray for you, yeah? <laughs> that our God may catch you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus will glor- may be glorified in you. There it is again, in you and him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, With this in mind, blazing fire, angels, judgment. We constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling. Two parallel uh, petitions in, in verse 11. Two petitions. And then in verse 12, the reason he's praying it. So petition number one, that God may count you worthy of his calling. Once again, we're not earning anything by enduring, right? We're only proving that we're living up to what we already obtained. But here's what he's saying. He's saying our prayers is that God will give you the power to live in a worthy way, knowing it's God who's been whispering and wooing you and pulling you. Talk to the, uh, this guy in the uh, lobby. <laughs> That's the word for it. <laughs> and he's telling me, oh, I just feel like a drawing and I've strayed away, but I I just feel like God is just cornering me in a beautiful way and he's just kind of like got me and he's drawing me in. That person is God. You must respond worthy of the calling. And how about the cross that saves you? You've got to factor all this in the cross, the sacrifice, God, the holiness, and and walk imperfectly as we all do in a manner that acknowledges, whoa, the seriousness and the awesomeness of having God on the other end of this for us in a personal way. That's all he's saying there. And then the second petition. I love this one. He says may God give you the power to accomplish every last thing in your heart that's born of faith. So all the dreams that you have for God, all the things that I want so bad to be a man of self-control and moral purity. He says, may God's power make that happen. I want to be a guy my wife is proud of. And, and my wife would come under my servant leadership in respect because of the kind of way I serve her I want to raise my kids with the instruction and the love of the Lord I want to do something for God I want to get there see him all this hoopla you know and I want him to say wow, I want him to say wow you nailed it you 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 know that thing that was born in your heart that I gave you the power to do you see so dream a, a little bit. None of this mediocre stuff. Just start to want to... I, I want to be the biggest giver in the church. What's wrong with that? Oh, oh, it doesn't go by totals. It goes by proportion. So a person of little income can be the biggest giver of the church. Jesus uh, was in the temple. Right? This is not in my notes. Surprise. Uh. (laughs) And he's walking past the treasuries and everybody's putting in their sounding trumpets. The Pharisees would sound a trumpet and go, "Whoa, here's what I brought, you know. And then Jesus is standing there and he sees this little lady. Nobody's looking. She has two copper coins. You know the story. And she tosses them in. Bing, bing. Jesus said, whoa, hold on. Trumpet blast of God's mouth. Whoa, did you see that? Wow. Two pennies. Got a wow from the son of God. Two pennies. She doesn't have a lot, Jesus says, but she managed somehow to have two pennies. And you know what? She said, I'm not going to walk in here and have nothing to put in there. Two pennies. I got two pennies. I'm going to put them in there and trust God. I want to be like everybody else. I want to be a contributor. And she and Jesus says, she is the number one giver in the temple. Amen. Wow. You know, he makes it easy. You know, you're you're thinking, of, you know, I'm gonna get there. What am I gonna have? You know, Jesus has been paying attention, and he said, I'll tell you what, you're gonna get a reward for even a cup of cold water in my name. Translated. That's funny, Pastor Adam. <laughs> he handed someone, it might have even been me, I wanted a cup of water, and he hands the water, and he goes, in Jesus' name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he looked at me like, hey, you know, just uh, making sure I get something up there. <laughs> so, listen, what does it mean? It doesn't mean that per se. It means... A tiny little thing, you went around, you saw somebody crying at church, hey, listen, what's the story? What's going on? Put your arm around them and pray a little bit, encourage them. That's a cup of refreshing water, boom. God says, check, boom, done. Got a record of that one. And that is going to materialize on the day we see him into some kind of what? Now, Paul says, live in such a way to... Have a really nice welcome. He said, that's not bad. That's smart. Run in such a way to win first prize. So when you get there, Jesus said, hey, I've been keeping track of stuff. Take a look at that. Whatever that is, there's a that. We're not really sure what that is. uh, But we do know it has something to do with responsibility in his kingdom and honor there. So a lot to think about. This morning to walk worthy of that calling with this in mind, that God's power is the one, the thing that's going to accomplish this in our hearts and lives. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, just 12 verses, but a lot to say. We thank you, Lord, for your love. And now as we kind of wrap things up and. Worship, would you bring home the points that are important to each person and encourage our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.